Hi, friends, and welcome to the Robcast. And this one, oh, I ha- what do I even start? <laughs> I'm I'm already laughing because this is Robcast 51, and it's called God Part Three. And I uh, today in this podcast, I get to tell you about something that I have been working on for a while, and this is just the coolest. So, first off, real quickly. Um, January Viper Room, I'm doing three different two-day events. I would love to have you come and we'll hang out for two days and we'll talk about all the stuff that matters and it will be just so great. So all that info is at the Finding Your Groove series. And then uh, we're gonna film Everything is Spiritual, December 17th here in LA. Would love to have you there. I know there's a, a, a couple of tickets left for that. And then my Largo Christmas show is December 21st. And I've got man, I've got some stuff planned for that. So those are all events that are coming up. Would love to see you there. But this podcast, before we get to God Part 3, I get to, uh, this is the closest I get to making an official announcement. But uh, a few years ago, I wrote a novel. Uh, I'd never written a novel. Um, It had been inspired by this bizarre story that I'd heard that was about me that was so surreal. I was like, what in the world? And somehow that got me thinking about all kinds of things. And uh, I had the first line for a novel, and then I had a scene, and then I had some characters, but I'd never done anything like that. So I just sort of carried the idea around. And I would jot notes to myself. Um, I'd think of a character, and then a scene, and then the dialogue between characters. And so I would write it down, Um, but I didn't know what to do with that. I'd never written a novel. How do you write a novel? And uh, finally, I realized I just need to try this. And uh, I I wrote a book called Drops Like Stars. And the day I finished, this would have been uh, 2008, the fall of 2008, I finished my book Drops Like Stars. And that the day that I finished it, I typed the first line to this novel. And then the next line came and the next line came and over the next year, I wrote uh, this novel, and I was like, I don't even know what to do with this. So I showed it to a couple of friends, um, and one of them, she's been a beloved friend for a long time, she's a doctor, and she was like, Rob, your other books are, are fine, but this book is like way better. <laughs> but and, and of course, publishers were like, uh, a novel from you? You don't do that. So what would we ever do with that? So this novel has been sitting in my computer for, oh my word, like five years. And uh, it's called Millones Cojones. And uh, it's about a motivational speaker who has an emotional breakdown. And there's this character named Claudia who drives a gold Ford F-150 pickup. And there's this character named Noel who waxes his mustache and always wears odd-colored socks. One of the main characters' names is Rooster. Um, There's another character named Sister. And then there's one of my favorite characters in the novel. His name is Chuck Flannel. (laughs) So so here's the deal. Uh, Just recently, Kristen was like, you need to to give this novel to people. We need to, like, make it available because I think people would like it. Uh, I think your Robcast friends would like it. So here's the deal. I want to give you my novel, Millones Cojones. So uh, this is this podcast will come out the Monday before Thanksgiving. 
And uh, I am so thankful for my life. I'm thankful for my work. I'm thankful for family and friends. Um, and I'm thankful that I get to give you this book for free. So you go to my website right now, robbell.com. You can download Millones Cojones, my first novel. And uh, I want to give it to you for free. So you'll see how you can download it as a digital ebook, etc. It's all very straightforward. And uh, it makes me laugh really hard. And the thought that you all reading it and laughing, um, that just may, <laughs> just put such a big smile on my face. I can't even believe it. So, uh, and then here's what I want to do, because it doesn't have a cover, and here's why. I want to invite those of you who have uh, skills in this area, I want to invite you to read it and then make a cover that you think should be the cover for it, and then the best ones, just put it on Instagram and tag me, and then I'll, pose, I'll post the best covers for Millones Cajones, and then... Um, the 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 best ones i'll contact you and we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about and we'll go from there so i am so excited to see what covers perhaps some of you come up with for my novel so once again so unbelievably excited that i get to make things even just the robcast each week um to interview people to do these talks that i do and to share them with you is it's more satisfying and gratifying and it brings me more joy than I could ever put into words. And then the idea that I can like give you this book. Um, yeah, so much to be thankful for. So there it is, a novel for me to you on my website, download, read, and then we'll talk about it somehow. Um, which now let's do a segue, shall we? Um, because it, gives me so much joy to make things and give them away. And that joy speaks to me of a larger joy. Like, can you believe this? That you and I, like we get to, we get to breathe and we get to love people and we get to make things and we get to create lives and we get to share things with others. Uh, what can you do but pass it along? You know what I'm saying? Like the grace, the gift, that you've received, uh, all the ways in which you've experienced blessing, and then you get to actually give to others. Like, what an ex extraordinary thing we get to participate in. I've been doing this series about God and about what you think of when you hear this word and about the assumptions and the conceptions that are hidden in that word, God. Uh, and what I've noticed is a number of you have questions rooted in your anger and frustration and rage against God. So for this God, part three of this series about God, I want to talk about anger, frustration, rage, disappointment uh, against God. And uh, I know for many, many people, this is a very real issue. There are this sense of being wronged, this sense of loss, uh, the sense of injustice, why would God allow these things to happen? Uh, for some people, it's just they were born without certain things that they think other people were born into, money, privilege, love, etc. So there's a sense of like, from the, from the very beginning, the deck, the deck was stacked against you. Uh, for some, it's just a rage against the world the way that it is. And uh, for others, it's just a low-grade bitterness that life was supposed to be better and it's not, and God is to blame. 
uh, a sort of resentment that just boils below the surface. For other people, it isn't just loss, it's the specific loss of a loved one. There was a death, an early death perhaps, a tragic death, an accident, unexpected, and so there's just a, God, why did you take so-and-so from me? And uh, what about that thing that happened? Where was God when I was, and then people will mention something horrible that happened to them. Why wouldn't God have stopped that from happening? Why didn't God stop that from happening? Or how come God doesn't come down and answer my prayers? I have a very straightforward prayer. And there's something that I need. It was something that would be good for me and good for the world. Why can't God just answer this prayer? What's so hard about that? These are the sorts of questions. that lots and lots of people are asking. These are very, very real questions. So um, let me start in, and I first want to talk about lists, then I want to talk about explanations, then I want to talk about your very real responses to life, and then we'll circle back to this idea of a three-tiered view of God. And then from there, I want to give you a couple of, perhaps for you, maybe new images or ways to understand or think about or conceive of the divine that you might find a bit more helpful. Um, So first off, lists. Here's the problem if you have a list of things that God hasn't done that God should have done. The problem if you play the list game where God gave you the shaft, God shortchanged you, God denied you, God took something away. Something was taken away and God didn't prevent it. You suffered some tragedy and God could have made it not happen, but God didn't intervene. Here's the problem. If you play the game that God owes us for all the bad things or is accountable for the bad things, where were you, God? Then what about the good things and the great things? See, if you play the list game, The list game has two columns. If God is accountable for all the bad, then do you owe God for the good? If somebody somewhere owes you something, then do you owe somebody somewhere something? See, here's the problem with the points game, the list-making game, is it all breaks down. Now, we'll get in a minute to why the entire conception of the divine, I, I, I don't even think about the divine like that, and I, we have to move beyond that. But nevertheless, for many people, this is a very real pressing thing, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you play the points game, it doesn't go anywhere. If, if, if you are angry with God because of this bad thing, and God owes you, and you deserve an explanation, the problem is, what about the good? What about the beautiful? What about those moments of undeserved grace where you received something and it moved you and it inspired you and it was unequivocally good? See the list game? Not helpful because it doesn't go anywhere. Second, explanations. Uh, I have no idea why we experience the pain that we experience. Uh, for many people, the problem with God is too many things can't be explained. Um, And here's the problem. Explanations, suffering, essentially, suffering is an experience. Suffering is something that we experience. And that is different than an intellectual category that you analyze. 
because many things are awful and horrific and that's just how it is. Some questions can't be answered well because they aren't good questions. There are assumptions and categories lurking in those questions. And if you don't spot them, you'll get sucked down the drain of the question. So for example, when people want to know uh, why did the person get cancer? Why is this cancer happening to the person? The problem with the, which is a very natural, normal human response. We'll get to the very normal human responses to the pain of the world in a second. But the problem with demanding explanations is the fundamental premise of the question is, if I just had an explanation, then I'd feel better. But what if there was a divine being who could explain why your loved one got cancer? But what if the explanation was something like, oh, it's because in fifth grade they were mean to the new kid? You see what I mean? Like, sometimes when we ask a question, we have to ask ourselves, what exactly would the answer look like? If there was a divine being who could answer these sorts of questions, why the car accident, why the cancer, why the horrible pain, um, why did this person's heart turn to such darkness? Why did this person enact such violence? And there may be very real explanations involving uh, brain chemistry or upbringing or abuse or something, but at an even deeper level, there is an entire category of life in which there aren't explanations. Perhaps you've seen this when um, something tragic happens and somebody uh, charges into the situation quoting Bible verses. Everything works together for good or something like along those lines. God has a plan, but you're the one who's actually going through the pain. You're the one who actually just lost a family member and none of those Bible verses are explanations. You know God has a plan. They actually are offensive. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever heard somebody trying to explain tragedy, suffering, or pain, and, and, and it actually backfired, and, and it made you even more angry and bitter. So the thing is, the, here's the problem with God. Sometimes there are no explanations, and it's important to acknowledge that. One, uh, one explanation, by the way, that has helped me is for the world to be a world, it, it has to actually be a world. For the world to be an actual world, it has to be free to be an actual world. And so for you and I to be actual human beings, real human beings living in a real world, for this not just to be a simulation, then the world has to be free to actually be a world, and human beings have to actually free be free to human beings, and human hearts have to be free to actually do things in the world, to actually have will and choice. And the very nature of reality is that means people will make destructive choices. That means for the world to be the world, there will be natural disasters. That if there was a divine being who every time something bad was going to happen stepped in, then it really wouldn't be a world. It would be some sort of weird virtual simulation in which everybody was protected from everything actually being real. So oftentimes our issue isn't with the divine. What we're frustrated with is we live in a real world in which things can really go wrong and people can really hurt people. So many people say, well, if God was powerful, then God would just prevent anything harmful or hurtful or bad. But that actually wouldn't be a real life, the more interesting kind of power, 
would be the kind of power that could take whatever happened in that free world with free human beings, bad or good, and somehow could work through it and maybe even overcome it. Now that, now that would be very interesting if there was some sort of judo move at the heart of the whole thing, where even the things where it went off the rails, even more things where the human heart was very destructive, even that could somehow be overcome, redeemed, or subverted for something good. Now, that's, now that would be interesting. But going back to my earlier point, when you are looking for specific explanations for why God allowed certain bad things to happen, we are operating according to certain assumptions about the divine that have to be questioned. Now, let's get to those in a second. Thirdly, then, this does not mean that we deny our very real responses to the cruelty and violence and pain and heartache of life. And actually being alive and being human and having a heart and any authentic spirituality is one in which you express what you're feeling. So when I talk about not making lists and, and how it's a dead end if you make a list of all the ways that God ha- you believe that God has wronged you or things that you're bitter or frustrated with God about, that doesn't mean that you don't express how you're really feeling about life. Um, so if you're angry with the divine or if you have need to vent or you have rage, then express it. Get it out. Of course, of course. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's from the lips of Jesus. That's very real, very necessary. The list-making game is a dead end, but you expressing however you're feeling, whatever it looks like, however nonsensical or illogical it is, that's all part of being a human being. And that's actually part of being a healthy human being. So if you have things you're carrying around, if you have bitterness and it's bitterness, it's just a, it's just a venom towards the divine, express it. That's what the Psalms are. That's what all the great, the great prayers often have this element of deep abiding anger and frustration. By the way, if you can look around the world right now and not have anger and frustration about how it is, then you're not, then your eyes are closed. Because if, you, if your head is not in the sand, there's a lot to be angry about. You express that stuff. That's what it means to be healthy. But the larger issue is how you think and how you conceive of the divine. And when we are angry because God didn't intervene, or why didn't God show up and stop that, and why didn't God prevent this, underneath it all, there is a conception there of a God who is somewhere else, and then comes here from time to time. And that takes us back to part one of the series in the three-tiered view of God. Can you see how much of the confusion and anger and bitterness about God is rooted in the three-tiered view of God? We're down here on earth, God is somewhere else, and then when bad things happen, how come the God who is somewhere else didn't come down here and prevent that? How come God didn't reach in and intervene. But all of it is rooted in a particular conception of the divine, that namely the divine is somewhere else and comes here from time to time. And so oftentimes when I hear questions, what I'm really looking for in the question is, what is the conception of God that's lurking down there in the question? See, what happens when you do that is you realize, oh, 
the question really is God is somewhere else. This bad thing happened. How come God didn't step in at the, at, at the last second and stop it? And there is lots of three-tiered language in the Bible, language of the God who comes down, uh, prayers that go up, the God who rides on high, the guy who, God who sent Jesus from somewhere else to here. And that's how people saw things. People, have seen, people still say things that way. Um, but there are also other ways of understanding the divine. And so what I wanna do in this episode is just give you a couple of other ways that you can think about the divine that may free you from the three-tiered frustration of a God who's somewhere else who doesn't show up when that God is supposed to. So image number one in the book of Genesis, a story about a man named Jacob. And I'm just gonna stick to images from the scriptures um, because some of them I find really interesting. And what I've really found interesting is how many people who would say they know the Bible, oh yeah, I've heard the Bible forever, but who have never been introduced to very different ways of understanding God that are all right there present in the scriptures, but they've mostly only heard of a three-tiered understanding. And so to evolve beyond that or through that is sort of a radical new idea. So Book of Genesis, man named Jacob, he uh, falls asleep by the side of the road. He uses a stone for a pillow. <laughs> Interesting little detail. And uh, Jacob has this fantastic dream. There's a ladder. There are angels ascending and descending. Um, it's a fantastic dream in which he is reminded of his destiny. And he wakes up and he says, surely God was in this place the whole time, but I, I wasn't aware of it. It's great, isn't it? Ah, apparently God was in this place the whole time, but I'm only now waking up to it. So one of the ways that you can understand the divine is simply the presence that has been here the whole time. We're just now waking up to it. And so this doesn't locate God somewhere else. This locates the divine right here. We are the ones who are waking up. So when people say things like, you know, God showed up. Uh, um, no, 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 God didn't show up. Somebody showed up, but it wasn't God. <laughs> you showed up. You became aware of the divine presence. It's been here the whole time. Or uh, you think about when Jesus tells this story about a king who's separating sheep and goats. Um, as an image of people. And he's saying to the one people now, you've done really well because when I was uh, hungry, you fed me. and I was thirsty, you brought me water. And when I was in prison, you visited me. And the people are like, what? You, the king? When did we ever see you like that? And he's seen every time you do something for the least of these. And so essentially what Jesus is saying is, I come to wake you up to the divine presence in all of life, especially in those who are most forgotten, broken, hungry, thirsty, and lonely. So at the heart of Jesus' teaching was this insistence, I've come to alert you to the divine presence lurking in all of those unexpected situations where people have a need that you can meet. And when you move towards another human being in love and grace and compassion, the divine is there. I've come to open your eyes, essentially. The story is about I've come to open your eyes to the divine presence in every conversation, in every interaction. Ah, oh, so good, isn't it? 
Jacob waking up. So some some ways you could say, what is the story of the Bible? It's the story of the Bible is of people waking up, waking up to the divine who's been here the whole time. Now, another uh, great line uh, in the letter to the Ephesians in the New Testament, the writer says, speaks of the God who is over all and through all and in all. The divine who is over all and through all and in all. It's as if the writer is speaking of, we might say, the electricity that everything is plugged into. Have you ever had the experience like that? Where you became, maybe it's a meal with friends. Maybe it was the birth of a child. Maybe it was a piece of art, music, film. Maybe you were out in nature and you just had this sense like there, there, is, a, there is a reverence. Jane Fonda has this great line, the, the reverence humming within us. That sense that... Uh, there is more going on here. Or in uh, the book of Acts, uh, this man named Paul finds himself interacting with these philosophers of the city of Athens. And he quotes their own poets when he talks about God, the God in whom we live and move and have our being. So these aren't images of a divine being who's somewhere else, who you have to conjure up, or if you have enough faith, then this God will come here and do something for you. These are images of something that we are already in, all of us, every single human being. Do you notice the shift here? The shift here is from a God who is somewhere else to a God who is here. The shift is from a God who we are outside of, who needs to somehow do something for us, to a divine presence that we are already in, we are merely waking up to it, we are becoming aware of it, our eyes are being open to it. We are surrounded with it, in the presence of it, already sustained by it. Do you see how this can change? So then when you have the person who's like, oh no, I'm far from God. Well, you may feel that way, but in the divine we live and move and have our being. I've quoted before the great Paul Tillich, whose definition of, one of the ways Paul Tillich described God was the ground of our being. It's like that which makes life possible. Um, Now, the implications of this, of course, are many, but uh, a couple really quickly. Think about miracles. When somebody says to you, do you believe in miracles? What they're essentially, the modern understanding of a miracle is an intervention into the natural course of things, right? Things are going along a particular way, and then a miracle is when that particular way things are going along is interrupted by an outside something. And so then, of course, the divine, and do you think God does miracles? Once again, do you see the framework there? Do you see the conceptions? The perceptions are of a divine being who is outside of the whole thing, who then reaches down into it which is very different than the one in whom we live and move and have our being that makes the whole thing possible in the first place. So what you'll notice when you begin to think of the divine in other ways is you're no longer asking questions like, do you believe in miracles? Because you're starting to ask a much more compelling question, which is, it's all a miracle, isn't it? Because see, a miracle, the definition sort of is an intervention, a supernatural intervention that interrupts the course of things that can't be explained. But then you begin to realize, but like this whole thing can be explained? Think about it. Have you ever heard an explanation for how the universe was created that you were like, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense? No, even the best of scientists are like, yeah, we have more questions than ever. I actually just got to hear Lisa Randall, um, a physicist from Harvard who has a new book out, and she's just like literally one of the smartest scientists in the world. I just heard her give a talk the other night, and 
the amount of time she's like, yeah, we just don't know. Yeah, that we have a bunch of theories on that. We have a bunch of facts and we have a bunch of things we can prove on this. But this over here, nah, we don't know. We don't know. There was this beautiful confidence she had in things they've discovered at the sort of very cutting edge of science. And then there was also again and again and again this really, really captivating sense of wonder and mystery. Like, yeah, we're still working on that. Yeah, we're still, yeah, that's, uh, though, yeah, we don't really have an explanation for why that is the way that it is. So one of the things that will happen when you move uh, to other understandings of God, when you sort of leave behind the divine being who's somewhere else and you're trying to get them to come here or you're bitter and angry because they should have come here, is you, you begin to have uh, much more of a sense that the whole thing is miraculous. The whole thing is electric. It's all holy. It's all sacred. It's plugged into something. Oh, and then besides miracles, some of the implications of this one, another thing you'll notice is uh, you stop being surprised when people say things that are true and do things that are good. Um, all people are in God. If you begin to see all people already in the divine, simply waking up to that which has been true about us all the time, then you're not surprised when people from all sorts of different backgrounds move you and inspire you and guide you. Um, and you move then beyond these superficial labels like Christian and atheist and believe it. You just, you, you begin to move beyond the way in which some of these labels essentially distance us from each other. And so you have people who are like, I'm a Christian. I cannot believe that atheist uh, could, and you just begin to realize, wait, I've met really, really, really confident religious people who didn't at all act like something Jesus-y. <laughs> And then I've met people who are staunchly anti-religion who have such a holiness about them, such a sense of justice and compassion and love. And so you begin to think much more about the divine being who we are all in already. And the labels become much, much less powerful and interesting because you realize that truth and goodness and beauty show up in all shapes and sizes and perspectives. Are you with me now? Yes, yes. And then uh, sometimes people talk about being outside of God. This is all language of location. And at one level, it works. When people say, you know, I feel far from the divine. There, there is an image that works at one level, but then at another, it doesn't because you realize we're already there. And what we're invited to do is to wake up to where we already are and to who we already are. Now, uh, what's interesting in the um, Hebrew tradition, they have this uh, prayer called the Shema from the book of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so for thousands of years, people have had this awareness that reality is a seamless oneness at its core. So I love this, this idea of the connective tissue, the glue, the sense that everything is connected. Have you ever had that sense? Have you ever had that sense that somebody suffering somehow had something to do with you? Have you ever had a sense that an injustice over there somehow affected you? And that when you acted, you were needing to act on behalf of that person because it wasn't just their suffering that needed to be eliminated, uh, uh, alleviated, but that somehow you were connected with them. Have you ever had that sense that we're all one? Uh, yes, of course, of course. That is another way to understand the divine. The divine is the connective tissue, the glue, 
that holds everything and all of us together. This is why uh, in the New Testament, they talk about one Lord, one baptism, as they're talking about the fundamental unity of all people. This is why, especially in the Orthodox traditions, they talk about the mystical body of Christ again and again and again. All of humanity as one body. That's why that image of body has had such a powerful resonance for thousands of years. The sense that we're all, uh, when one of us hurts, all of us hurts. When we celebrate, we all celebrate. That we are all at the deepest levels connected with each other. And that we share this one planet. And so what you've done then, we've just moved God from somewhere else who may or may not be involved from time to time to the God who we are all in, who connects us, which is why we feel so deeply for each other. And when, one, when, when it's off for one, we realize that inevitably it will be off for all. Uh, and then there's this really interesting thing Jesus does or the first followers who are quoting Jesus in the book of Matthew talk about him saying, going into all the nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, the thing about this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit language is this idea of Trinity came out of that. Now, if you have heard this word Trinity, and perhaps right now you're cringing, you're twitching, you're like, ah, what are you talking about? That's just all that. Here's the really interesting thing. When Jesus spoke of the divine, he spoke of a triune God, a God of three in oneness. So when Jesus spoke of the divine, he spoke of a community of movement, love, and motion. He spoke of a Trinitarian energy. And so the, these, this Father, Son, and Spirit each move around the other, encircles the other in love and service and gift. And so when Jesus spoke of the divine, he spoke of not a single static being, but a, com a, a community of oneness, of love, movement, and motion. Now, here's why that's interesting. Is that the fundamental human invitation to all of us to enter into the Trinitarian flow of the universe? See, for many people, their understanding of God is God is a static, unchanging oftentimes, literally, old man with a long beard sitting somewhere. How many people would talk about the God who's sitting somewhere getting ready to judge us? And so it's a static, unchanging God, just fixed there, usually somewhere else, and you have to prove this God exists or not, or this God is love or not anger or whatever, whatever. But when Jesus talked about baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, he was essentially saying, invite people into Trinitarian community. Oh, come on, a community of oneness, endlessly overflowing in creativity, love, joy, and compassion. The divine being a flow that you enter into and then you, you invite others to enter into it. This is why Jesus keeps talking about serving and keeps talking about loving. When you serve, when you move around another. See, selfishness is when you only move around yourself everything, all flow of energy basically is about you. You protecting yourself, you being offended, you taking, you, selfishness is when all of your energy flow is simply directed to you. There's nothing going out to anyone else. When you choose to serve, and I always used to think, 
I used to think serving basically was serving was do whatever it is you don't want to do. But no, no, no. When Jesus keeps saying the, the, the one who's greatest is the one who serves, I came to serve. I came to show you how to serve. You must serve. What he is essentially talking about is the alignment of your energies. Do you give your best energies in the world to simply protecting and preserving and building up your own empire? Or does your energy flow outward? Do your intentions do your best efforts move towards you or away from you to others? And that's the extraordinary thing is serving is about the alignment of your energies. And so when he speaks of the divine being, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he's speaking about a Trinitarian community, an energy, a movement, and that to align yourself with the divine, to, as the many would say, to walk with God, is to have aligned yourself with this movement in the universe, that the heart of the universe is a Trinitarian flow. The early church fathers called it the perichoresis of God. Choresis is where we get the word choreography. So they talked about the divine dance. And do you feel that way when you're in, we talk, it's almost like being in sync with a song. It's like almost like being in the groove with the drums. It's like a flow that you are in when you are giving yourself to those around you. See, once again, we have then located the divine, not somewhere else detached who might come here from time to time, but we have located the divine right here in the midst of life. And uh, in a marriage, in a business, in a home, in a family, in a neighborhood, you can have this flow where people are looking out for each other, when people are taking care of each other's needs, when we are encircling each other in Trinitarian love. Beautiful, isn't it? So beautiful. So that's why I talk about you pass it along. You pass it along. You receive it and you pass it along. And that's where the joy is. So when I think about God, I don't think about some being up there who I just wish would come down and do this or that. Because the world has to be free to be a world. It has to be free to make a giant mess of itself. What's so much more interesting to me is all the heartache, the pain, the things I have seen, the suffering that I've seen inflict on people, the people who have broken my heart, uh, the injustice, that I have witnessed, that we all have seen all around the world, the much more compelling questions to me are how come I sense something moving in even in that? Think about your own story and how much of what shaped you into who you are. You went through some rugged stuff. You went through, maybe it was abuse, maybe it was loss, maybe betrayal, and yet something was present in that pain calling you forward refining you and it wasn't like "Ooh, did god cause it not an interesting question much more interesting question is in a world that is free to be a world and with human beings who are free to actually be human beings and hurt each other how come there is something present in it calling us inviting us healing us restoring us making us stronger, making us more sensitive to the depths? What is this Trinitarian energy flowing through all things? How come, no matter how much you've been hurt, betrayed, and wronged, how come when you are given something and you receive it 
And then whatever it is that you have that you can pass along, you pass it along. How come in that giving of receiving, how come something tells you this is where it's at? This is where it's at. You show me the most hardened, bitter, cynical person, and then you show me a situation where somebody has something they need, and then they give of their abundance and blessing to that person. You show me somebody who isn't slightly thawed or melted or moved by that act. Yeah, yeah. So see, there's lots of ways to think about the divine, the energy that pulses through all things, the connective tissue that heightens our awareness that we are all one, the Trinitarian movement, the perichoresis, the dance of the divine that we are invited to enter into, the miracle that the whole thing is, the God who is over all and through all and in all, the electricity everything is plugged into, the one in whom we live and move and have our being. Instead of where is God, a much better question is where are we? Perhaps we're already in the divine. And the Jacob story, earlier in the scriptures, ancient, ancient culture, and yet the story is of waking up to the divine presence that's been here the whole time. And God was in this place, but I, I wasn't aware of it. Oh, so good, so good. So here's the thing. You uh, may have been handed all sorts of ideas about the divine that don't work. Then get rid of them. You may have been taught a bunch of things, and you're like, I just can't do that anymore. You may be, you may proudly call yourself an atheist. I guarantee you that you and I don't believe in the same God. <laughs> that if you told me about the God you don't believe in, I don't believe in that God either. Okay, that's fine. It's not a big deal. It's actually not a big deal. People have been leaving behind conceptions of the divine for a long time now. It's fine. You can do that. You can evolve. You can grow. You can learn. But if you do the like, there's nothing else going on here. Really? Really? There's no mystery. There's no wonder. There's no flow. There's no love. Come on. Come on. It's all more interesting than that. It's all more mysterious than that. And there are lots of other ways you can think about it. The one who is over all and through all and in all. Oh, so good. The one in whom we live and move and have our being. And then one more thought. For those of you who have lists, anger, deep resentment towards God, get it out. Just get it out. It's okay. Write it out. Sing about it. Shout. Climb up on the roof of your house and shake your fists towards the heavens like skinny little antennas. That's a reverence, reference to a Godspeed You Black Emperor song. <laughs> Musical reference there. Get it out. Express it. It's okay. It's fine. It's the only way to be healthy. So if you have some bungled conceptions of the divine that have you all tied up and not, just get it all out. It's fine. It's fine. Be honest about it. Be, get, express that anger. Expects that rage. And then, after that, ask yourself, is there a better way to see all this? Is there a better way to see all this? Because I think there is. And that's, that's what I'm talking about when I talk about God. Grace and peace, everyone. <laughs>